Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is the Lane County Commissioner from District 2, Joe Burney. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you. I hope it's cool that I call you Joe. I'm very unprofessional. I hope it's cool that I call you Patty. I'm very unprofessional too. <laughs> well, it's really great to meet you and I appreciate you doing this. Uh, I'm a big fan of the work that you're doing. We have so much to talk about today. Uh, I'm going to get right into it because we have a lot to cover. The first uh, time that I had heard of you, James Barber has been on the show a bunch of times and James Barber had told me about the work that you're doing and, and you were running for County commissioner. He ran in a different seat, uh, in the primary, he was defeated by Heather Buck, who's also great. I've met her. She's amazing. And so we are really, we have great people doing great things in Springfield and in, in our area. So really what caught my eye and why I wanted to talk to you on the podcast was you had made a Facebook post on December 8th that you had, a link to a local video game store and mm -hmm. it was kind of interesting i had no idea uh big city gaming which is on 13th and willamette 20 years ago you and justin field were the co-founders and you had made this post talking about how that uh relationship came to be and how you invested in it and then justin had a 20-year plan to pay you off so we're going to talk a little bit today about Sort of, kind of. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more details. The post is, okay. is, you know, it was it was very simple. So first of all, tell me about how uh, you and Justin know each other and how the conversation started about potentially starting a video game store. Um, a very difficult time in my life. Um, my youngest son's mother, well, all my kids' mother, but, but his mother was fighting, uh, first off, while we weren't still together, we were very close and we were co-raising our youngest. She was fighting a form of cancer called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We eventually lost her, by the way, um, about a year and a half later. Uh, but, but my son, who was 12, um, was an athlete. He was engaged in school, but this kind of stopped him from being happy. And one of the things he enjoyed doing was playing video games. Now, this is 20 years ago. I mean, he's 32 years old now, but he enjoyed video games. And I and so I would take him to stores because I, you know, I wanted to make sure that it was appropriate content, et cetera. And met this kid named Justin Field. And Justin was a staff at one of these stores. He was a salesperson. And I was so impressed with his customer service, his knowledge, his friendliness his uh, respecting my kid, they developed a relationship. And when you're a parent of a child who is experiencing this kind of 
potential and then eventual loss in their lives. I mean, it just rocked their world to the ground. Mine too. Um, and so you take notice. And so I was so impressed after months of going to this store. I asked Justin if he ever thought of starting his own business. That I started a couple of businesses. I know how to do that. Um, for me, it's believing in the people uh, more than the business per se. I'm not a gamer, um, but um, but and one thing led to another, and I helped him finance it. I helped him. I was his mentor for how you run a business from inventory to purchasing to staffing to display, you know, everything of cash flow. And that was the relationship. Uh, so, and my son, because it was all about my son for me too. I mean, I was helping this cool young guy. I don't know what he was, 20 years old at the time. Wow, yeah. um, start something. We hired four or five of his friends who, who were just... One, each one has their own wonderful story in terms of where they are now, by the way. But this is back then. All of them were semi-alternative young guys, but they were smart and they were good human beings. Um, so David, my son, learned how you start a business and he was involved in the startup and he was engaged in all the activity. So that's that's how I met uh, Justin. That's why this non-gamer, me, um, assisted a group of young people that were quite alternative um, to start a business. And it was hugely successful. I mean, big city gaming is still there. Oh, it yeah. outlasted Hollywood videos, video game thing. It outlasted blockbuster in this town, in this area. Um, and, and we did well, we made money and, and these young guys moved on and the store is still there. And my kid is good. Yeah. It was, a, it's a staple. I mean, I've, I've been a patron, you know, it's been a long time, you That's know, and they're, funny. <laughs> and they're gonna, yeah, oh yeah, I used to go there all the time, you know, because you could buy and sell games, and you could, you know, if I mean, times when I was starting out cutting hair, that that my finances would be up and down, right. and so sometimes I'd have to buy and sell the system, you know, sell we, my console, you know, and then I'd we, buy buy it back. And we were the first group that did dollar a day game rentals, and and we bought like for you, we we bought a lot of stuff. And I, you might not know this, but everything in that store was handmade by local artisans. Yeah. Everything. And it, I bet you remember it was kind of a cool vibe. In oh, there. yeah. Yeah. It had yeah. like this kind of like you're inside of a computer almost this kind of or something like yeah. that, you know, yeah, and, it was kind of industrial edgy. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been there in a long time because the game trading, uh, you know, buy and sell video games is really changing because everything today is digital. So, well, it, they're still they're, people are still buying games, but it's definitely well, changed. It, so they're rebranding the way they're doing things now. I got out a three of only three years after I held. I mean, for me, it, it was just helping these guys develop a business, right? Right. Um, but and and we did establish a buy sell so that but that was even 15 years ago and now we're just friends and i've just been hanging out yeah. and helping them as i can well obviously i've done fundamentally different things with my life sure and i i'm sure that it'll still it'll push through because you know they have to kind of adapt but the beauty of what they do at big city gaming is that buying and selling games there's a there's a, a retro thing to the mm -hmm. games there's games that are older than the newer systems like regular nintendo nes super nintendo game boy you know the old games and so they do that they also do where you can uh for you know for a short time you can play on a screen and you can play consoles and whatnot and so there's a lot that they're doing 
you know. I can go on and on. We, oh, we, yeah. Yeah, we have so much to guys. talk about. But that's yeah. definitely what got you on the show. I wanted to talk about that connection to Big City Gaming. <laughs> it's really cool. It means a lot to me to know, like you say, alternative. It means a lot that you would look at these kids and be like, they may be not conventional in the business world, but I think that they've got something there. And they've got that, you know, innovative entrepreneurial spirit, you know. And so, sometimes all you need is some financial backing, you know. So could I interrupt you there, sure, Dad? yeah. Is that okay? So that's consistent. You got to remember, I taught high school for several years before that. Um, I worked with the kids that were in trouble with the law, that were in alternative schools. I fundamentally believe they were equally, if not more intelligent than a lot of the quote unquote good students, because they were smart enough to realize that this wasn't real relevant to what their passions and interests in life were. Um, I, I, before this, before my wife um, then um, contracted cancer, um, I had set up a huge nonprofit in all of Lane County called Networking for Youth. And it was a mentoring program. And it was all about giving young people relationships with adults that could connect them to opportunities that the kid was actually interested in. So, because we, and, and to this day, um, over 85% of all the first jobs or work experiences that young people get is through knowing some adult that cared enough to give them a shot, whether it was a parent or a teacher or a coach or a minister, you know, or whomever. But, but so the whole premise of that mentoring program was to connect young people that didn't have those organic relationships in their life. Um, and in fact, the young guy that I mentored was from Springfield High School, by the way. I think he was a little before you. His name is Ray Colasar. And Ray and I, Ray and I are still close. He's the night supervisor at Far West Steel. So I have massive relationships. And so to do this with the big city gaming crew was consistent with many of the things I've done throughout my life. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. You know, so we have so much to talk about. You recently gave... Uh, your state of the county speech and you know i had i watched it it's very short i'm gonna have a link to it in the show notes so anybody that's listening to this after you listen to this episode you can go and you can watch the full uh 30 minute i think it's about 35 minute address and it's you covered so much there's been so much that's happened in your time since you've been in office and the state of the county probably is covering the last year normally is that correct Usually, roughly. Oh yeah, because with with unlike cities, cities have mayors, right? Right. And those mayors have terms that is usually four years. County commissioners every year they select a new chair. Um, I did not actually. I never wanted to be an a polit elected official, but we you know that story. Um, I didn't particularly want to be chair, but I was the person that was unanimously selected by my peers because of the times we were in because this has been just a hell of a couple of years we've gone through. So yeah, that, it, it's a one year gig. Yeah. So, and you know, the speech is, is, is really good and there's a lot that you cover and we're going to talk about a little bit of it today, but like I said, the link will be in the show notes for anybody interested. And then you can click to like the four minute mark is where the actual video starts. You know, there's always kind of a lead in and it, unfortunately it had to be virtual. You know, and oh, we waited to the last possible second. We were going to have hundreds of people there. It was going to be a whole different deal. But yeah, it was and that's it was. the nature of the beast. I'm a big fan of virtual uh, stuff because I like doing it in the comfort of my own home. And so I actually I like the way that the technology is going. 
so that there's an option that reaches even more people. So I'm actually a fan of the virtual events. Uh, I do wish that there, it's cool to watch a virtual event where there is people present. So it would have been nice to hear, you know, the audience response because there's a lot of topics that you covered and a lot of, you know, passion work that you're doing that really would invoke emotion, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so there's just so much. One of them that you talked about right off the bat, and this is my first takeaway from the address was the frustrations that are fueling incivility and anger from the vocal, the vocal minority in our community. Explain to me what you mean by vocal minority, who the vocal minority is. Um, the context for that remark was one day after I was selected to be chair of the Lane County Board of Commissioners was January 6th. And that's when the riots and everything occurred in DC. Um, and, and that's when for the first time in our nation's history, we did not have a peaceful transfer of power. So that's what I was referring to. Yeah. And then when you take that sort of national um, mood, I was then talking about locally. Now, it's not one side versus another. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, COVID and, and the county is the public health agency for all of Lane County. So whether we wanted to or not, we were sort of, we were, we were providing business relief to businesses to stay afloat, to keep people working. We were providing over $33 million to help people stay in their uh, rental homes and not get evicted and keep their landlords whole, right? Plus holiday, so there's all this stuff going on. Well, whenever you tackle one thing, there's always going to be people that don't like it really from both extremes of the political spectrum. It was, it's not just right, or it's not just left or whatever you want to call it. So in addition to focusing on just getting work done, we were also dealing with angry hate kinds of um, vibes from the, from one group that said that we were committing murder by not closing everything for two years and allowing people to go to where this virus was to those saying that we were, you know, destroying liberty by being a public health agency and offering vaccines to people that wanted it. So both of those are louder. And what you don't hear is you don't hear the the gratitude, we do, but you don't hear the gratitude of children and grandchildren and seniors who are getting vaccinated, who are starting to, you know, get back into the world um, we're not at normal yet, but I think we're going to get there. And that's what I was referring to. Just the noise, the distraction from just solving problems to help people. Right. And it's it's such a nuanced thing, because what I think is really important that you acknowledged was the frustration. You know, right. the, the frustration. We're all exactly. Right? We're all so you're not discrediting it. people's reasons for being frustrated. You're just saying that the the backlash sometimes can be ugly and it doesn't mean that those people aren't going to be represented. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's of like, course. I'm listening what you're saying to, to, you know, like as a, as a leader, you're elected to represent everyone. And I know from what I've seen of you, that that's your goal. You know what I mean? That, that you're like, I'm going to listen to what you're saying, but you, you, you get more bees with honey. If you come at it with just aggression, it's going to be a lot harder to, to, you know, start moving forward. There's, you're right, Patty, and there's so many levels to this, right? I mean, there's the level of none of us can control how the world is hitting us, but we 
do have the ability to control to a degree how we respond to that yeah. and whether we put make that turn into angry venomous energy or whether we just try to learn and cope and love and care for others um so yeah i mean i'm just elaborating on what you said no absolutely i mean and i know that even much different experiences but me even doing the podcast i've get backlash for different things that i've done and it's really it's really difficult sometimes to know how to navigate it because i'm so new at it and it's there's just so much vitriol right now and i I you know go ahead no no you go ahead i mean no there's so much vitriol that it's really difficult and i have a lot of times i get it from people that i tend to agree with on most things but it's really because of like like i said the frustration is just mounting and I think we're we're starting to turn a corner and, and people are starting to realize they need to take the gloves off a little bit. At least, you know, a lot of people. I mean, there's always going to be people that want to be the rowdy bunch, but but there's a lot of people that are like, okay, I need to start listening to people that I maybe disagree with and I need to start kind of understanding where they're coming from a little bit more. If I may. Yeah. We, we, we need to, this is going to sound really hokey, I apologize, but we need to love each other we need to treat others the way we want to be treated yeah and and i don't know anyone that does not want to be listened to does not want to be acknowledged does not want to feel like they're every bit as important as anybody else um or that their views or ideas don't have within them some kernel of truth or merit and i think that um sadly um and that's a democratic skill by the way to disagree without being disagreeable, to listen before you talk, to truly factor in other people's opinions, and then to but but then to move forward. Right. And to say enough is enough. We have to have a bias to action. Too many people are hurting. Let's let's get on with it. Right. It's small D democratic. That's that's a democracy thing. Oh, right? absolutely. You know small what I mean? Like that's D. across the board. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Uh yeah. So now let's talk about a couple different things. I want to talk about Senate Bill 420. I know very little about how this works. So I know that this is something you're very, <laughs> you're very passionate about. Yeah. Uh, I've learned so much by doing this podcast, but I'm still not overly confident about talking about the inner workings about legislation and how it's truly passed. But we don't need to get into all that, the wonkiness of it. <laughs> but I do want to talk about what it is, how you, your work with Senate Bill 420 and why unions love Joe Bernie. Nah. <laughs> well, um, I, I think it's that working people, you, 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 you know, under collective bargaining agreements or not, will aspire to get paid decent wages so they can at least live a life and have some kind of a roof over their heads and put some sort of nutritious food on the table and be able, you know, live a quality life. So I think that and that, that's why I got into this is because so many people don't know what the hell they're talking about on the left and the right. Yeah. And all, and, and before I ever ran for office, I was 64 years old, number of businesses, number of other experiences that we can or not get into, but I think I can make things happen. So, um, so that's, you know, working people, most working people I know of live in bodies, and those bodies tend to break down from time to time. So healthcare, why that's a politicized issue, I'll never know. Yeah. But most working people need to have some sort of healthcare that, that won't break them if they have a crisis. Um, most people I know believe in equal opportunity, 
And there's a lot of people that over the past have been historically excluded from full participation in different jobs. Um, I know the construction industry very well. And, and so, um, so when you say, why do unions, I, you know, I can't answer that, but I can tell you that, um, that those are the kinds of things I ran on. And, and, and living in an environment that's sustainable, for God's sakes, and having employment that's full employment, where everyone that wants to work has a job that's meaningful to them. Um, so let's talk, about, talk what about, yeah, let's talk about what it is, the nuts and bolts a little bit. So, the Senate Bill 420. Yeah. So the work. Well, that's what I'm getting into. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, let's let's talk about that. But, well, Senate Bill. First of all, I yeah I wrote it. Right. <laughs> um, and Senator Manning sponsored it, and it was passed in the last session. One of the few pieces of legislation that was passed bipartisan, which meant people from both sides of the aisle voted for it. Yeah. And that's why it's law. Until then, construction projects in Oregon that were done by the by a city, a county, a school district, a state agency, had to go with low bid. They had to go with the lowest bid for the job. And what Senate Bill 420 says is, no, there's gonna be other criteria and these criteria will not increase the cost of the project. And those criteria include full employer paid full family health coverage for people working on those jobs. It will include recruiting women, minorities, and veterans uh, and disabled into apprenticeship programs so they can have careers in the building trades. It includes renewable energy as part of the construction project. It includes prevailing wages. So that, and it includes and focuses on prioritizing local businesses, right? Not some mega corporation from Portland or Seattle or wherever, but local businesses that hire local people to do local work. That's what Senate Bill 420 makes legal in the state of Oregon. It's pretty great. And I really like how you answered that about the union thing. Because yes, there's people that are pro-union that are going to like it, but there's also people that are just pro-business and pro-worker that are going to like it. It is a pro-business, pro-worker pro-environment piece of legislation that's pretty rare and that's pretty incredible so that i commend you on that one and so there's more information on your website uh that people can read you know about the work that you've done with that uh so let's talk about housing housing is the number one issue in lane county there's so many issues to talk about with housing i've been trying the best i can with the podcast to cover it in many different ways I've, i did a really great episode with shelter care you know even hip-hop artist Plato, the work that he's doing uh, working with, um, you know, some kind of really just on the, on the beat, uh, counseling, just talking to people, meeting them where they're at, you know, and, and just, mm -hmm. just going at it in any way you can. The area that I want to talk to it today about is the patrician, uh, which is a Springfield mobile home park that was set to be rezone, rezoned as multi-use and could be sold to the highest bidder. And it, it was rezoned. It was rezoned. So it was rezoned to be multi-use instead of just residential. And then what that meant was that it could be sold and then torn down potentially. And how many people lived at the Patrician? Uh, exactly. 86 families live at the Patrician. By the way, it's now called the Filbert Grove Cooperative and they own it, but 86 families live there. The Filbert Grove Cooperative. And explain to me what happened when you found out that this was potentially going to be uh, sold and these 86 families could lose their home. Um, 
A couple of years ago, um, the Springfield City Council was petitioned by the then owner of the patrician to rezone the property. Um, I, along with um, two previous Springfield County commissioners spoke against that. Bill Dwyer, Steve Kornakia. Again, interesting, right? Right, left. Um, but, and, and the room was flooded with hundreds of people against it. Nonetheless, the Springfield City Council at the time approved the rezoning. What that did was two things, fundamental. One, it increased the value of the property by definition, if you could tear down the park and build up large hotels or, or luxury homes or whatever on the parcel. And two, it, it made every one of those 86 families scared to death that they were gonna get kicked to the streets and they didn't know what to do. And there was a level of anxiety there that was truly palpable. So that's the backdrop for this. Fast forward, um, the owner, in fact, got his rezoning, was gonna put the place for sale. Oregon law requires that residents of a manufactured home park have first right of refusal, but it doesn't give them the money to do anything. So it's kind of an empty right. Um, I was not even engaged at this point. The tenants, they own their own homes, but they're tenants of the land underneath the home, right? The park that's owned by someone else. So they, um, you know, they, they made an offer, but they didn't have enough time to put the capital together to execute that offer. I get this call 48 hours before they're gonna lose the title, before the escrow is gonna end their SOL. I get this call from a group called Oregon CASA and it was basically, we have 48 hours, we need $50,000 of complete risk money that if we can't find the rest of the money, um, you're going to lose the money. Can you help us? And I'm like, thanks for telling me now, right? So I dropped everything I was doing, long story short, found the money, found the money with a group I'm on the board of, Homes for Good, convinced the executive director and the board that this was well worth the risk dollars given the mission of that agency. Long story short, dollars went into escrow, gave the residents enough time. They were able to on a piecemeal the money. They purchased the park. They owned the park. They formed a cooperative and, and they renamed it. So that, and through that, I know I'm talking too much. No, no, Gary. you're good, you're good. Through that experience, if I may, I learned how we can make this option available for every resident in every manufactured home park in Oregon. And there are 108 of those manufactured home parks just in Lane County. So just imagine what the numbers are. And this is a group of people that are low, relatively low income, somewhat vulnerable, but have pride in owning their own home and, and they call them their forever homes yeah. and have right. It's neighborhoods. And it's a group that's excluded. And if we don't include that in our portfolio of providing shelter for all, then we're missing the boat and there's going to be even more homeless. So I, I hope that gives you a frame. Of yeah, reference. no, it's great. It's great. And I mean, people talk about the issue of homelessness and it's like, if we keep people in their homes, that's the first yeah. step that that's yeah. it avoids the problem altogether. And I'm obviously it's never going to be completely, there's not a one size fits all approach to everything, but there's so many different areas 
that you have to do. And the vulnerable populations that are low income, like you said, we have to make sure that we're keeping these people in their homes. I mean, that would 86 families would be a dent. You know, that would be a very oh. significant dent to our community. Imagine those people on the street now. Yeah. Where, so, where are we going to put I mean, where do they go? Right. So that was a huge thing that you did. And I mean, this is exactly why I truly do believe in local government. There's a lot of people that talk about uh, government with ill in, you know, ill will. And they're like, ah, you know, and I'm like, well, you have to understand there's some really great people. And I say this all the time. There's great people in Springfield doing really great things. And I just, you know, really, really banding together to do some sensible stuff. That's, that's really improving people's lives. And so I'm, I'm a believer. Uh, Thank you very much. And it's intangible ways. And so what we find is sometimes the problem is bigger than Springfield. Problems are bigger than Lane County, right? Whether it's homelessness or, or, or working, as we've been talking about. So to have the ability, check this out, to have the ability to create state legislation to change the game, right? To yeah. change the whole freaking game. Now that then impacts Springfield more than if we just did a one-off in Springfield. And yet, you know, there are, the, there are those that like are saying, oh, well, he's not helping Springfield. Well, bull crap, he's not. We're, just because we're helping other communities too. Yeah. Sure. That's really cool. I mean, these two things we're talking about, Senate Bill 420, and then, you know, this situation with housing, how you had said that it's opened your eyes that this can be implemented for other people. It's not just oh. like a one-off, like you just said. You know, I don't know why this stuff hasn't been done before, Pat. I don't. Yeah. But like, take the manufacturer home thing. Okay, through that experience, I learned one that man there's there's no permanent zoning available for manufactured home parts, which means it's temporary. Which means you have investors, corporate investors from out of our area that are buying and selling these things like commodities when people's lives are at stake. Right? right? They're homes. So one, you create a permanent zoning classification to take the speculation out. Duh. Two, <laughs> two, you and this and I will, you know, assuming I get reelected or not, I'll still make this happen um, through state legislation. Two, you create a revolving loan fund so that instead of one offing something, every resident group knows they have dollars that they can use to purchase their parks and they have let's say three years to create permanent financing return those dollars to the state they can then make that available to other groups um, and three they just need training in how to run their own park and form a cooperative um, there are solutions to these things yeah it's pretty great it's pretty great when it actually works you know when you set out to to do something like that and it actually works uh so Let's talk about the fire recovery. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, I didn't really prepare too many questions. I just wanted to talk about what's happening and some of the work that, that was done and, and, you know, just the whole thing. I mean, you had talked about it a little bit in your address, but the fire, because, I mean, it's something that it, we've gone through so much in our community. Oh, it's unbelievable. That it's, it's something that's almost an afterthought at this point to, to people maybe, definitely not the people upriver, you know. I mean, I've got a lot of connections to the McKenzie Blue River community and my my stepsons, their dad lives up there. So we had gone to all their sporting events and I had be became acquainted with all of them. And it was absolutely traumatic for us knowing the people that lost homes. And what was beautiful was to see the people come together, uh, you know, and like the 
the uh, donations that were given and all the support that the community came together. And regardless of political views or regardless of, of belief systems, people were right. like, I just want to come together. So talk right. about, you know, some of the stuff about the fire recovery and, and, and what's being done still, you know? Oh, there's so much. It's so huge. Um, so the county was able to get over $22 million from different programs so far and get it to like McKenzie Fire and Rescue, get it to rebuilding, you know, a lot of the, the buildings and structures there. The County Board of Commissioners waived all fees normally required to get permits to rebuild. So in a sense that that's over a million dollars that has not thus far gone into the county coffers because it's just like, how do we help people help themselves? Um, we had FEMA denied our request for what they call a housing mission for displaced families. We had to go through this BS political process, but we got them to reverse it. So now there's, you know, the, the old U.S. Basketball Academy now houses a bunch of, of um, you know, housing for people. Um, it just goes on and on and on. But but here's here's the other part of that. There's still over a hundred folks. I mean, the county purchased a hotel. You know, we 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 are paying for people to live in in places, um, but there's still over 100 people that are homeless yeah. from that, yeah. and and they're still living in wherever we can find rooms for them, and we have that. But um, this is uh, and and the infrastructure still needs to be rebuilt. I mean, um, this is a big deal. Homes for Good has purchased property. They're going to be developing a manufactured home park there, right? For a lot of the folks. Um, there aren't enough seedlings to replant the area fast enough. Wow. That means that if there's a ton of rain, there's going to be a lot of erosion. Um, this is it's it's a mess, and yet you're right. The human spirit of damn it, we're just gonna dig in and, and work through this and get it done is so alive there. Um, but this is many, many years in the rebuilding. Um, and I'm and, and I'm using it to discuss other issues like yeah. You know, like our high wire, high voltage electric lines, the best way to get electricity to rural communities? Or can't we look at something I did in my private, one of my private businesses, which is create a net zero um, renewable energy generated with energy stored uh, and a microgrid deploying it, a uh, way for more and more and more of these communities to be self-sufficient. Yeah. and not have these wires going tens or hundreds of miles to get from where energy is generated to where it's used. Yeah, and you know, there's so many things people are unaware of that happened to in the aftermath of those fires. I mean, you had people that were, you know, now their home is gone. I mean, the only thing left is a chimney. Yeah. And then you yeah. had people that were sitting scavenging, you know, that were going around these areas trying to steal what was whatever was left. Oh. Yeah, we, we, we also dipped into our reserves. We hired more deputy sheriffs yeah. because there was that yeah. kind of scavenging and looting going on. Um, yeah. yeah, it's one a big of the deal. things that's tough too. My stepson was telling me he was working at the gas station up there. He's done a bunch of different jobs, which is he's 21 and he's done a bunch of different things, kind of trying his hand at everything. And he was working at the gas station. Unlike his father. <laughs> yeah, right. I've been a barber since I was 18. That's it. That's all I do. No, but okay. well, that's true. I have a lot of hobbies. No, but he, he, he was working at the gas station and he was saying it's for the locals, which he has so much pride in being a part of that community. And he, you know, he's broadened his base too, but 
there's just so much it's difficult because people come up there to almost see it as like a tourist attraction. And I'm like, well, you know, you have to understand that the McKenzie River means a lot to Oregon's across the state. You know, and yeah. I understand that it's that it's your home off, you know, this street or in this road or whatever. But to a lot of people, the river is really something that they're very passionate about and they have a lot of empathy. So it's difficult because for the locals, it's really, really intrusive when people come up. It, it has know. changed their life forever. Absolutely. So just and just be mindful when you go up there and you're checking it out. Just be mindful. Make sure that you keep the traffic flow moving. <laughs> you know, you know, not you, but just I'm talking about the, no, you know, pe- people, you know, people, uh, when you go up there, because I've done it, I've kind of, I've, uh, you know, looking out the window at all the sites and seeing how you can actually see the river from the road. It's pretty wild because that was not the case before. And it's, it's, it was traumatic and, and it's starting to really come back a little bit slowly, but surely, but man, what a, what a, what a devastating time. You know, that was very difficult. Well, Joe Bernie, it's really cool to talk to you. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to want to have you back on. You are seeking reelection. And so is that, is that, that's happening this year? Is that tr- Is that correct? That's happening over the next four months. <laughs> so yeah. So may, so we'll get you back on. Uh, it's really, really an honor to have you on the podcast and uh, shout out to Holly Weaver. <laughs> She's uh, uh, we, uh, her, name, her name is Holly Owens. Now. <laughs> Holly, Holly. Yeah. Holly and I worked together years and years ago. And I think, she, uh, did you say she was your stepdaughter? Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, she it's really really means a lot and i know that she's going to listen to this so shout out to holly and uh you know it's a small world i've lived in springfield off and on for a long time since since 94 and so i've definitely seen a lot of changes and i i'm really 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 impressed with what's happening with our local government in springfield and i like how there's advocacy and not activism in local government a lot of stuff where there's actually people getting stuff done instead of just you know trying to get attention for themselves they're doing things to help improve people's lives and that's pretty can i say something about that yes please do you know i i really want springfield city government they don't get paid no And, and they're completely volunteer and they they represent all different sides of the political spectrum but i got to tell you with every one of them i consider a friend because what we focus on are getting things done in springfield and they are the government for springfield but the interface between the county and the city and so we've seen a ton more resources now entering our local economy um, a lot more jobs a lot more business activity and a lot more social services and low-income housing. So it, it's an honor to work with those guys. And you're right. After you get past the county level, everything is partisan. Yeah. Until you get to the county level, everything is nonpartisan. And that makes a huge difference. No, absolutely. When you have and, – and, you know, for people that don't understand what, what you mean, it's like at city government, it's nonpartisan seats. The mayor is not supposed to be Democrat-Republican. It's supposed to be, you know, a nonpartisan seat. City council is nonpartisan. And then you get, like you said, when you get into, you know, state Senate and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot more partisan. Well, still, then there are R's and D's. Right. And there's still, there's still work being done. That's great. But it's going to be polarizing a lot more. In a, on a local level, it has to be done to where it does not matter. It's going to be the best for the most possible people. So, you know, thank you so much, Joe Bernie. It's really great to meet you. I wanted to have, in my closing thoughts, I wanted to talk about something pretty tragic quickly. Uh, but last night... You know, obviously anybody that's listened to the podcast know that I have a history in hip hop in Eugene and Springfield. Uh, 
another passion of mine. And last night at the Wow Hall, there was a, a rap show, hip hop rap show, where there was a shooting. Six people taken to the hospital. I don't know if there is a suspect, you know, that's been captured. I, I think that to the best of my knowledge, they're not even, I, I'm sure they're looking, but they, the belief, the chief said that they, you know, a lot of times what happens is somebody, if they're not from the area, they may move on. So they're going to do the best they can, but it's going to be difficult. All the, the description they're giving is that it's a person wearing a hoodie. So that's literally everyone that was at the show. <laughs> and so really difficult for the hip hop community. It is not reflective of anything that I know in the local hip hop scene. It was not a local show. It was people touring, I guess, from the Bay Area. I'm not trying to blame the the performers without any information, any reason to blame them. But man, I mean, what a tragic event. A good friend of mine, I'm going to respect his privacy by not using his name on the show, but he, and he'll talk about it if he chooses to, but he was right there, standing right by and witnessed it all happen. And he did give a uh, statement to the police and hopefully that helps. But my heart goes out to all those affected six people taken to the hospital. And I know at least one of them is in, is in critical condition. So we'll see how that plays out. And again, it's just not reflective of the Lane County hip hop scene. So anybody, when you're looking at the posts, the people that want to make this about rap music, you need to scoff at that. You need to push back at that because it's not like that. That's not what the local community is about, you know? So Pretty tragic, and I, I, my heart goes out to everybody involved. So yesterday was a really full day for hip-hop. We had that. And then also, Ender One, uh, he was my number one first guest on the podcast, episode number one. This is episode number 152. And he just put out a new single called Fill It, uh, featuring Mercules. He was super excited about it. I always like to play his songs when he releases a new single, so I'm going to end it with that. Joe Bernie, thank you so much. It's an honor to meet you. Uh, I will definitely get you back on the show closer to the election. Tell me some dates real quick, not dates specifically. We'll, 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 we'll narrow that down as it gets closer, but May is the primary and then November is the general. Is that how we're doing it for this? Cause I, I'm so confused with, with, uh, sometimes in the off year elections, it's a little bit different. I think the first of all, my, my pleasure and my honor too, you know, <laughs> really you're doing a wonderful service for our community. Oh yeah. May 17th is, is what they call the primary, right? Right. Um, the primary election four years ago, um, I defeated the incumbent. So it was all over. Right. And that's, that's, our I think that's what time. gets confusing for people is because in Oregon, if you have over 51% in the primary, there's um, no reason for the general. Okay. Yeah. For nonpartisan offices. Okay. Right. But for partisan ones like DeFazio's seat, there's going to be a Republican primary to see who their candidate will be. Right. And there will be a Democratic primary and then they will face off in the general. But for nonpartisan, you get 50 percent plus one in the primary and it's over. And then it's done, which is good it's because that allows because, you know, that allows time to govern. <laughs> You know, especially well, for incumbents. Well, the, yeah, no kidding. Um, the, I can't even believe I'm an incumbent. I started this stuff at an old age. Right. Um, but, you know, the other thing is I think we're all sick and tired of politicians cramming the airwaves, spinning their, their stuff, saying vote for me because I, you know, it, when it, we get enough of that. So, yeah. honestly, if we can wrap it up in the primary, we can just be done with that nonsense and just 
do the business of the people. I saw a guy at the store the other day. Now, he was wearing a mask, so I want to give him credit. <laughs> but he had a mask that said Trump 2028, and it th- made me throw up in my mouth. I threw up in my mask, in my mouth, you know, no, but, but anyways, 2028, I'm like, let's get through 2022, you know, I mean, it's just beginning. So anyways, Joe Bernie, thank you so much. I'm going to end this with a song. This is Ender One featuring Mercules. This is Fill It. Let's go. Uh They say I'll never be free if I'm always bottled up, trying to feel full from this half empty cup. I gotta be whole, so I'm trying to patch it up. Started out with good intentions uh-huh. They say to face your problems I tend to mask them Like why you think I get defensive at these questions Cause if you knew the answers Why the f- did you ask them I hate people like that Showing me love backwards I hate evil like that But not you, no you're different I picked up that vibe Like my tolerance is pretty high But you get me by I'm playing hide and seek with peace That I'll never find So I don't gotta think about how f***ed I am If we don't kiss goodbye So I keep you here but my old flings pop up like they're new in here so i just act like i'm surprised like how did you get here what you doing here you put your luggage down right next to my old baggage like i am moving here fancy seeing you in here now ain't life for tripping all i got are these up souvenirs temporary fixes for permanent problems try to run away but there she is blowing me kiss from the bottom from start to finish maybe i'm crazy but now i see why spell it out it sounds cold but numb is how it survives I'll never be free if I'm always bottled up Trying to feel full from this half-empty cup I gotta be whole, so I'm trying to patch it up Yeah, it's probably not enough, but I'd rather feel it with you 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 Mercury, let's go It's been a minute since I wrote you a letter Cause I'm embarrassed, everybody says we don't go together I'm so codependent, I'm lonely, it's like nobody gets it It's like I'm all alone, sitting at my own intervention I know I've made a lot of promises I didn't keep And now I need to drink a bottle just to get to sleep I honestly just drink cause I've been starving for a quick release Haunted by the shit I've seen, it's hard for me to get some peace I had to write you this to wash it all down And if the pool is full of vodka, you can watch me just drown like why am I obsessed with all my vices? But you pretend to love me when you never even like me You lie right to my face, I think you do it just to spite me But still I stick around cause just the thought of you excites me And every time I do I feel disgusted I'm lying to myself cause the truth's too f***ing ugly I swear I'll never be free if I'm always bottled up Trying to feel full from this half empty cup I got